Greg. Kareem. Welcome to the pre-show. Welcome to the pre-show. We are going to get to our guest, Dr. Jason Wilson. Uh, but before we get to Mr. Wilson, let's uh, Dr. Wilson. Dr. Wilson. We'll have to ask him whether he wants to go by doctor. That's a social handle. That's true. All right, Dr. Greg, what what do what does the Eminem song stand? The K-pop group BTS and former guest and DJ Paul Chin have in common. Well, yesterday I would have said I have no idea. Okay. But you, you, after multiple times of me not understanding, explained it to me. So why don't you explain it to our listeners? So the Eminem song Stan yes. is a song about a... Um, a fan, a, 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 a fanatic fan, you know, yes. someone who is totally into Eminem, totally into the, um, the subject of that, of that song. Right. And uh, so as a result of the popularity of that song, the word and term stand has now become part of the vernacular as the kids like to call it. And the so the kids call it vernacular. Okay. Go yes. Ahead. So if uh, so Greg, you're wearing a Mercedes McLaren uh yes. cap. So you could be called a, a Mercedes Lewis McLaren Hamilton Stan. Yeah. Or Lewis Hamilton Stan. Because this is a signature Lewis Hamilton hat. He has signed it. No, he hasn't signed it, but it's uh, he designed it. He, he designed, designed it. it. He designed it. Yes. Yes. Um, the BTS Army, as they're known, as the kids like to call them, are fans or stands. See, that I get you. That, like, vernacular is not something a kid uses, but BTS Army being there. Yeah, okay, go ahead. Carry on. Yeah. And so what happened was... Um, our previous guest uh, of the podcast, Paul Chin, read an article. And in this article, let me pull it up again. In this article, the author was ragging. Ragging on BTS's on B- fans. Fan yeah. The BTS conspiring Army. to drive sales. Oh, I know, yeah, I driving know more about this than driving you think I do. Yeah. yeah. I get it. And I'm, so, I'm cool. Yeah. And so, Paul took offense mm-hmm. to that article saying, wait a second, aren't the charts made up of the results of what fans of these musicians do? Right? Yes. Don't they right. listen, stream, download, 
and buy all their music or the music of whoever it is that they that they like and that's what that's pop music isn't it pop is popular music um it's not it's not djs anymore at radio stations deciding who gets played or not get played it's 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 fans who are uh for the most part for the most part there is still the influence of the programmer at a station that can make an impact but yeah for the most part now it's kids discovering music through digital distribution yeah and sharing it whether it's on tiktok or snapchat or um what their parents use facebook and instagram Mm-hmm. And so as a result of Paul telling this author off who wrote this article and coming to the defense of the BTS army, the BTS army proceeds to support Paul Chin by listening to his music, by yes. purchasing his music, uh, by purchasing his, uh, you know, s- you know, swag and stuff off of his Bandcamp uh, and his website, so it has now turned into, um, it's it's just amazing and such a happy story to, yeah. to come across, um, you know, a a do-it-yourself DJ and musician like Paul Chin, uh, who has you know kept busy during the pandemic. Uh, is now uh, in the good graces of one of the most uh, influential groups of music fans out there, the BTS Army. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just uh, I, I need to sort of give props to my brother, Anise, who uh, made me aware of this story. I don't know if it was last week or the week before where he shared a tweet from uh, from Paul Chin saying, hey, check this out. The uh, BTS fans are purchasing his music and supporting him. And uh, I thought it was interesting. I didn't fully understand why or how uh, until I saw another, uh, I think, an Instagram post or a tweet from Paul Chin explaining what happened. And I thought, this is, this is phenomenal. This is really, yeah. really interesting. And such a good story to find out about and to tell everybody about. What I'd be interested to know is how much it moved the needle for him. I'd love yeah, to. I'd I, love to have a conversation with him about that at some point. It's like, you know, they can they can drive millions and millions and millions of listens overnight. You know. Absolutely. I'd be keen to know what it did for him. And again, let's have him on the, back on the show at some point to talk about that. Yeah, It'd be very interesting. for sure. He does talk about uh, both in the article as well as in you know comments he's made on social um, that there was a massive vertical spike on his Spotify music. It just went uh, through the roof. Like, yeah, but I get that. But like for us, if we had we went to 36 listeners, we'd have, that would be a massive spike. <laughs> yes. And it's gone again. Yeah. I totally get where you're coming from. And um, yeah, maybe we'll, maybe we'll, we'll uh, get him back and, and ask him specifics, whether he'll show those specifics. It's up to him. 
um, to to do. So I do know. I think uh, correct. Someone correct me if I'm wrong, but he went from you know just hoping to make some money back from uh, you know the money you outlay in terms of you know putting together an album um, or a project to, uh, uh, to to paying that off and and to and, and starting to make some great money all, all as a result of saying, hey, this is pop music. This is how things work. It's, it's no, you can't bash fans for buying and supporting the artists that they love. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. just how it works. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that's the pre-show. And that's the pre-show. On to our guest, Dr. Jason Wilson. Hi, the following podcast is brought to you by Radical Road Brewery the best craft beer in the heart of Leslieville. Find them at 1177 Queen Street East. That's Radical Road Brewery. Hello, my name is Jason Wilson. I am a two-time Juno nominee, a Canadian Reggae Music Award winner, best-selling author, and general international man of mystery. Welcome to the music. Welcome, 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 welcome. It's great to have you here with us. Thank you. Great to be here. Yeah, yeah. So be, before we get started. So the, oh, good. There you go. You go. Let me start, Greg. <laughs> before we All get right, started, should, should we be calling you Dr. Jason Wilson? Is, oh, is that... Yes. Is that that's, for, uh, that's reserved for uh, my students and people that I'm not very fond of. So you guys can call me Jason. We call you Jason. Oh, very awesome. Good. <laughs> well, listen, I, the, the first question I have, um, Greg is a lifelong, lifelong suffering fan of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Mm-hmm. And uh, you have authored a very important book about the yeah. Leafs. I know this is a music podcast, but we need to get this out of the uh, way. That's first, okay. I think. Um, I think you wrote the the centennial book I about did. the Leafs. Um, my question to you is, Jason. <laughs> yes. Is there a curse on the like? Is there any hope at all? Should Greg just look for another team to support? Well, it's a, it's a. It's an interesting day because my other team, my other big team, is I'm very, very Scottish, as you probably read about. So Team Scotland lost to Czech Republic yesterday 2-0, and the first time we've been in the big tournament since I met my wife 23 years ago. So I was crying over that, crying over the Leafs, and it's, it's painful that writing the book, I realized that the first 50 years were amazing. You know, 11 Cups is are you kidding? And since then, my lifetime, bupkis. Um, so it's it's been a it's a painful journey for us. And Greg, I'm interested to know if if you feel there's something. And I'm actually not even really joking. That there's something actually deeply psychologically, you know, that affects us in a way that we we sort of uh, anticipate anguish. <laughs> Uh, the, you know, the, the, you know, if something good happens in our life, we're saying, "Well, the other shoe is going to fall." <laughs> we see it every time we watch the blue and white. Greg, before you answer, 
I'm just going to leave. I'll come back in half an hour. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> I, I actually, I, it's funny because I may be the curse. <laughs> I may be the curse. See, I, I feel that way too. So <laughs> the last time they won, uh, I know at one point during the playoffs, dad was called from his buds to go to the hospital because mom was giving birth. Oh, so I was only a couple months old wow. when they won the, the, the last time. And it was interesting because my kids are born in the early 90s. So my daughter was, we were pregnant, my, my ex-wife and I were pregnant with, with uh, our daughter. And I thought, okay, this is it. It's next generation. Well, that didn't happen. So mm-hmm. then the following year, it's like, okay, well now about a year and a bit, we're pregnant with my son. And so I'm thinking, okay, here we go. Male Tilston, male Tilston. I got goosebumps. This is the way it's supposed to be. Didn't happen. <laughs> Didn't happen. <laughs> so I jumped, you know, I, I was on the bandwagon then, you know, we lived through the ballad years. I was on the bandwagon then, uh, jumped off, jumped back on what about eight years ago, whatever it was, jumped back off. <laughs> and my son for the last couple of years, and he's in his mid twenties now, or yeah, mid twenties for the last couple of years, he's been saying to me, dad, I swear to you, I promise you this, like, this is the team. And I'm like, Bri, I'm just a bitter old leaf fan. I don't yeah. want to hear it. Finally, this year I buy sports net. We're up at the cottage in the Manitoulin right now, hiding out during everything. Nice. I grab sports net heading into the end of the season. I'm like, okay, fine. I'm in. And so I really, I think that's me. I think it's me. <laughs> I, I, I knew some, well, my wife hates that I'm, I'm usually right. Cause I knew after game five, there's no coming back after that. And my mom, cause my mom and I talk after the game, every time, every game. And she's so half a uh, glass, half full all the time. She's such an optimist. And she says, Oh, but we played wheel. Do you know think we played very wheel? And I'm like, yeah, not really mom. And, and honestly, you know, we, we let them off the mat and, oh, there's, we've got two mere chances. No problem. I'm like, you've been watching the same team I have for a long time, mom. Haven't you? You know? So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's rough. Yeah. It's, it's weird. It's, there's there's, it's, there's it's, worse it's things weird. in the world. There's a million yeah. worse things in the world. And, and I, you know, I remind myself of that, but there's, yeah, it's, it's a, it's hard. It's hard being a Leafs fan. That's for sure. <laughs> So, so, so you, you wrote that book, you wrote, uh, I'm going to turn it, bring it back into music here. So yeah. you wrote that book, you wrote the, uh, the Lord Stanley and the cup, uh, book about that, about Lord yeah. Stanley history. Um, wrote with Kevin Shea, I have to mention. Yeah. Apologies. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Um, you have a PhD, a doctorate in history from Guelph, which is actually funny because just yesterday, my wife and I were walking, uh, we do our nightly walk and we realized my cousin who's coming up this week, her son is, goes to Guelph. Nice. Just started at Guelph and his name's Griffin. And it dawned on us for the first time. Oh my God, Griffin's a Griffin. Anyway, that, is, nice. that aside, that aside, we've had Jay Douglas <laughs> as a guest on this show um, and a number of other Excellent. people to speak. What I'd love to hear from you um, as the historian is the impact of Toronto on reggae in the seventies and reggae on Toronto in the seventies. Can you give us a, do you mind going back and talking a bit about that as a historian? 
Uh, no, not at all. I, I mean, it's it's huge. Uh, and I think Toronto is very, very unique in the world, really. Um, arguments could be made about London and Birmingham and England, I suppose. But you really had uh, a group of people that came to Toronto to settle, which is not uh, terribly unusual unto itself, I suppose. Um, but the impact that their music had on not just, uh, you know, a nascent domestic reggae scene, but on music period, you know, there's no Drake without reggae in Toronto in the seventies and eighties. Right. He would say that too. And, and um, I, I think it's astounding. I, and I, I actually, I quiz my students, um, you know, I ask them who their, their, their favorite uh, Canadian Bangra uh, artist is. Or if they've heard of Lucio Battisti, and of course there's you know absolute <laughs> eyes roll, they have no idea what I'm talking about. I said, right, you know who Bob Marley is, right? And every one of them knows who Bob Marley is. And there are there is a reggae Juno category. There's no Bangra category, and yet there's way more South Asians in Canada than there are Jamaicans. There's no Italian you know, contemporary Italian uh, category at the Junos, and yet there's a reggae category. Um, that's astounding for an island that's so small in the Caribbean. That that shows you how important and, and impactful that, that music is. Um, but to get to your other point, Toronto definitely affects it the other way. I don't think reggae is or should be, um, in, that's made in Canada, should be, quote unquote Jamaican reggae. It isn't. It's Canadian reggae. It's a different thing. Just as, as UB40 and Aswad and Steel Pulse in England have their own sound that's distinctly British. Um, so yes, Toronto affected the way reggae was played, recorded. Um, and of course the admixtures of the different kinds of things that were happening, particularly in the early eighties uh, along Queen street. Um, there's, uh, you know, it's a back and forth thing that's ping ponging all it's still ping ponging um, as we speak. And uh, it was nice for me. I, I mean, I I really I was born in 70, so I, I really don't hit the scene till the mid 80s. Um, but I witnessed it. I was there and, you know, uh, I've been very fortunate to play with all of the big names and in, in, in certainly in Canadian reggae and a lot of Jamaican and British ones, too. So, um it's a, it was, it's unique. And it's, it's a, it was a beautiful time. It was a beautiful time. It was truly, it was multiculturalism in the very best sense in that it wasn't prescribed. It wasn't some governmental brochure that was saying, you know, we all have to hold hands and sing Kumbaya or whatever. No, this was, I, I talk about this in, in the book is that it's a collision. It's a collision at first. Um, the best example I have is from my own hood. Um, when I was about four or five, uh, the Jamaican migrants were coming into our neighborhood and the older kids, they were at each other's throat. Like there was heavy street fights. In fact, I remember one amazing street fight went up and down. The parents <laughs> were involved. It was fantastic. And I was, I wanted to go and watch and My mom says, come back here. You right. Um, and so I always talk about these, these two kids, I won't mention their names, but they were both arrested and, and you know, it was, it was bad news. Their younger brothers up who were my age, became best friends. So I taught, I show that as an example of like there, there, 
let's not kid ourselves. Human experience is difficult. You know, collisions with cultures is difficult. It takes time to work through some of that stuff. And, but on the other side of that, you have an authentic coming together uh, of peoples and, a, and a, a deeper understanding of each other. Um, and I think that's, you know, I think that's what's missing sometimes is that the, there's this fear of not wanting to explore each other. <laughs> um, everyone's staying in their lane. Um, and I think that's really missing the point. I, I think that's, uh, in a way, racism uh, in the name of anti-racism, <laughs> if that makes any sense to you. Um, I, think, I think those explosions, those collisions is what brings people mm. closer together. Really interesting to say that that's sort of um, what these are the sorts of conversations we've been having, you know, especially over the past couple of years where, you know, of course. we talk about how do we as different communities get along with each other and stop hating each other. Um, and, you know, one of the things that early on that I always believed in is that if you live in a place where there's different types of people, you've got no choice, but you're bumping into people from different places. And 100%. how can you hate the people you are with all the time? Right. You're just with them. You yeah. go to school with them. You work with them. You, you play in the local leagues with them. Um, you work with them. And so it's like they become, you, you become someone who is exposed to, to people, cultures yeah. from all over the place. And, and I think that's a, an, an excellent point. And I think it took me time once I started touring a bit and seeing different parts of the world and even different parts of the country and stuff that I realized, wait a minute, North York is kind of unique. <laughs> you know, um, the, those same sort of sensibilities um, of, of, yeah, in the playground, uh, you know, uh, girlfriend, boyfriend, uh, smoking weed together for the first time, listening to the same music, you know, going to the same school, the dances, et cetera, et cetera. That didn't happen everywhere. And, and I didn't realize that. And, and, and I, I was probably uh, blind to some of the overt and obvious racism that was extant and still is around the world, um, just because it was a bit of a haven where I came from, a bit of a multicultural. We all were immigrants in my hood. We were all yeah. immigrants. I happened to be um, Scottish, but mom and dad came in 66. So like there, we all had funny accents. And um, it was it's one of those things that that over time I look back and there's, you know, some people call Keelan Finch, Jane Finch area like, you know, a, a grit. A, 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 what's the term that's been used? Yes, that they did a documentary on me and it was the gritty drug infested neighborhoods of whatever. Mm. My mom and dad were watching it and they were going, what, what are they talking about? <laughs> I, was like, I was like, well, kind of mom, you know, like kind of, um, but. I wouldn't change it for the world because of, of the perspective of other that it gave me. Um, but I now realize how precious that is and, and yeah. how, how, um, how maybe rare it is uh, if we just look around mm. and have seen what's happened in the last few years. It's shocking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm going to um, take uh, the perspective of one of your students, Jason. Um, okay. you, you talked earlier about you don't get to Drake without uh understanding or um yeah understanding the you know the beginning of the canadian reggae scene something along those effects you, you mentioned earlier 
Um, if, if I'm your student, I would put up my hand and go, yeah, yeah, whatever. How do you get from one spot to another? Could you quickly, could you explain that quickly for us? Um, you just cut out at the very last part when you were asking the question for me. and I could. <laughs> Yeah, no worries. Could you explain you how, you how, get to, how yeah. do you get to drink? <laughs> Well, how do you Reagan. get to Drake? Ah, yeah. right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, well, Drake grew up very much the same uh, kind of environment that I did uh, a little later on, of course. But um, that whole, there's an authenticity to Drake. Uh, and I've seen it when he's, you know, self-deprecating on Saturday Night Live or something like that. And he he might he has the cool Drake thing. He's being Drake and acting that Drakeness, right? Um, but every once in a while, the Toronto boy pops out, and I'm like, "Yeah, I know you. I know you." And and I think in a way, um, what it is is that 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 Jamaican music penetrated the scene to such an extent, particularly in the '80s, particularly on Queen Street. And I know we're probably going to talk about that later. Um, to such an extent that non-reggae bands were using elements of it. Um, even if they weren't even considering themselves a reggae band or even playing a reggae song and as far as they were concerned. And I talk about that uh, with my students, and this might not translate with, with the microphone as is, but um, when I walked up and down Keel Street when I was, say, 15, 17, you would hear... Uh, a car passing by and you'd hear right and you'd know that's a you know someone's and it could have been any color person in the car but you knew they were listening to reggae right that subspectrum that really low black bass that that that's so low right that that whales can can understand what's going on um that moved into all kinds of genres, including like country and Western, um, to the extent that you walk into a, a coffee shop today and you hear that low, sub, dark bass, and yet it's, you know, it's uh, a Taylor Swift song, for instance, right? And, mm. and, and that's what reggae music did internationally. It sort of penetrated the, the sonic spectrum of all music because it's so infectious to have that, that, that bass that just moves your heart and your stomach, whether you want it or not. And, and if you, anyone that's ever been to like a reg, a proper reggae dance will know what I'm talking about. It's, it's that sort of, it actually, it actually makes you a little kind of wobbly and that's before you've smoked one spliff or had one red stripe. <laughs> it, it, the actual sonic movement, the air that's coming from those bass, those sub-bass speakers are actually moving you. And I feel like that is something that, that the other genres picked up on. And um, all that, back to your uh, initial question, is that Drake grew up with all of that. Drake grew up with all of the, that sort of dabbling and that sharing of, and the bridging and... Uh, and uh, Clive Walker, who's an, an excellent uh, historian on reggae in Canada, would, would say that the, my, the, the guys that came after me are, are coming, are, they're sipping from the same, you know, water fountains and everything, but they're expressing themselves in a different way. So Drake is, is more in the hip hop R&B kind of expression, mm. but it's still linked. 
it's still linked um, to that that Toronto expression of of an earlier age, which is you know obviously clearly what what uh, affected me and and my, and my musical trajectory and such. So so let's go back to talk about how you got into music. What inspired you? Like before you're 14 years old and playing with Messenger, which just blows my mind, and we want to start talk about that at some <laughs> point. But like, what 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 influenced you? to become a musician? Yeah. I mean, it's such a, it's such a difficult question, Greg. I think, uh, there's no time in my life where, I mean, my, my mom's got a picture of me. We were on holiday in Acapulco when I was two and I'm with a guitar, my best friend who we're still best friends. He's, he's about eight years older. They used to bring me over just to entertain, you know, if they had people over just to Jason sing a song for us. And I would get up (laughs) and do it like bang. Uh, Elton John tune or whatever. My sister's into Elton John and Rod Stewart. So I, I kind of got a bit of that. Dad would play all the Scottish stuff. So I had all the Scottish stuff in my head. But then by the time, I guess I was 10, 10 years old was really when I, I started to say, what is this music you're listening to, to all my other friends? And it, you know, it, it was reggae. Um, so I remember in Dave Gray's basement when I was 10 or 11 years old and listening to Dennis Brown and Gregory Isaacs and saying, this is wicked. This is awesome. And then, so Dave's older brothers would have like uh, blues dances on the weekends. And um, of course, kids like us were never allowed anywhere near it. But what we were able to do sometimes is sneak in to the top of the stair and listen to what was going on downstairs and just wishing we were down there with all the pretty girls, et cetera. Um, you know, so that happened really early. So it, it wasn't a conscious mm-hmm. thing that I woke up, you know, in my mid twenties and said, Hey, I'm going to try reggae. Reggae was all, always around me, or at least always around me since in my formative years from, you know, from about 10 on. Um, and even my white friends, my best friend, Brian Robertson, my next door neighbor, he was a reggae nut, you know, he, and he was older. So he was able to, you know, go buy records and, and, and bring home and say, Hey, this is a, an English reggae band called Aswad. And then of course he brought home a, a record by this new band that was come out and they were like, they were the, you know, the S H I T. They were the guys that you had to listen to. And it's a multiracial band from Birmingham and they're called UB 40. And I was, I was like, Oh, that's cool. And then that summer, my aunt says, you can, your cousin, Michael is NUB40. <laughs> so that was a game changer. Uh, so the yeah. next year I met them and the rest is history. I mean, like, you know, they're, they've had a profound effect on my career and I, you know, probably saw them a hundred times and toured with them and recorded with some of them. And, you know, it's uh, a long, a long standing love affair between me and me and the, the UB guys. But it's interesting because as much as, you know, Wikipedia says you're a reggae artist and so many articles, yeah. about, like, there's so much, there's so much to your music, like, and, and I'm sure that you talk about your dad with the Scottish and, and other influences, like yeah. you, you, you mix so many genres together, whether it's inside of one song or um, like the album Sum- uh, Sumac Roots, like like there's so many different sounds in there. Is that just your lifestyle? And, and even in your storytelling, I know I'm yeah, going in a I thousand guess. different directions here. I, no, no, no. I, I, I appreciate it. I always say it comes back to reggae. I learned reggae first. 
truly, I truly, truly did. Like, I think I learned a couple of Christmas carols, like Silent Night and uh, uh, Blue Spanish Eyes I learned on the organ. And I, I upstaged my mom. That's another story. But my mom had learned Blue Spanish <laughs> Eyes for all the neighbors. And it was going to be her big moment. And then I jumped up and actually played it before she did. So oh. she's never let me live that down. I was, uh, yeah, I know. It was awful. I, I was eight. So, I, I, you know, that's my only excuse. Um, but... Uh, no, no, I, I think reggae is the base. It always comes back to reggae uh, in terms of the sensibilities and stuff. But man, the best reggae musicians I've ever played with, including Sly and Robbie, Ernest Wranglin, Jackie Matu, these guys love all kinds of music, you know, and I, I feel we get very precious about our genres, whatever they may be, and, 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 and want to stick in that lane. And man, that's dull, 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 dull. I mean, uh, for, for me as, as an artist to express myself, I want to, if I want to do a jazz waltz in the middle of a reggae set, that's what I want to do. <laughs> right. Um, I get that, that, that people uh, hate these words authentic and tradition, but, but I get the people that want that and want to, you know, they want to turn on Spotify, uh, a reggae playlist. I'm probably not going to be on that reggae playlist because I'm too unpredictable. Um, you, you know, three out of four times you're going to get that reggae song and then you're not. <laughs> yeah. um, so I kind of get that. But at the, at the same time, um, you know, uh, it's a it's a wonderful, big, beautiful world with lots of incredible music that, that you know, none of us will live long enough to hear. Um, so that's 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 where I'm at with that. And, and, I, and having musicians, great, great musicians that I'm so blessed to have to work with that can play it. You know, like a Marcus Ali on saxophone, you know, he's my sax guy. But then we started touring with uh, Dave Swarbrick, the fiddle player from Fairport Convention. And he learned all these jigs and reels on Tin Whistle. And now he's playing jazz bebop scales on Tin Whistle. And anyone that plays Tin Whistle and sees Marcus play it ends up, how is he doing that? Um, so I'm, I'm very blessed to have guys like uh, Marcus in my, in my uh, ether to, to be able to experiment. And they love when I go out, you know, they, they really do that, that, you know, that don't stick to the, I always come back. I start there yeah. and I come back and, and, and reggae peaks out throughout the whole show, but I like to go out different places. So that's, that's on the musical side. I mean, I want to explore the storytelling. I mean, whether, I don't know if it's cause you, you love history and as a historian, but like, like again, that album Sumac roots and the story of, Toronto and you know everything great fire and the, the the stories are behind it I mean storytelling seems is is so much a part of what you do yeah so absolutely sort of explore I, that with you yeah I feel um it's kind of it can be burdensome sometimes to to always be conscious mm -hmm. of trying to write something historical for every song but man when you hit and and you feel like okay i'm t i'm distilling this story and then and then you distill that story and have someone that was involved and even tangentially with that story tell you that they're weeping because i never thought you would tell that story about my family or my culture or whatever um that's what makes it all worthwhile right I, I, and i <laughs> If someone listens to my tunes and goes, I love that tune, great melody, cool, whatever, awesome sax solo, blah, 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 I'm good with that. <laughs> That's totally fine. But if someone listens to it and says, 
is he actually talking about Elizabeth Simcoe, like Governor Simcoe's wife that like what? And Joseph Brandt, what? Right. Like I love those moments, especially, you know, when, when someone gets it, um, it makes, it makes it all those hours really, <laughs> really. Although uh, let me, let me digress for a second because um, my most popular song of all time, and I've made more money with this tune than anything else was a song I wrote on the Keel Street bus. It's called Keel Street. Mm-hmm. It's been used in a couple of documentaries. It's been used in a film. It's been used on uh, uh, the show The Kink in My Hair. They used yeah. it. Um, I, I wrote that in 10 minutes in the Keel Street <laughs> bus. <laughs> and it's made me more money than pretty much my whole catalog combined. And now, like, songs take me four months to write, right? Like, it takes me yeah. that long to research and you know, um, but I do, I love, I do love the process, you know, um, I think you have to love the process or, or you got to change your process. That would be my recommendation. Do you, when you write, write a, a song, you know, so, you know, we've been talking about Sumac Roots. Um, are you, are you the type of artist that lets the listener sort of take ownership of that song and and figure out what it means to them? Or when you write a song, is there a story and a message and you want that to stick? Uh, I, I would say I don't have a choice. I don't have a choice in that. Um, I think it will always be to the listener. Um, our most recent song, which, um, has just made the top 10 reggae charts uh, in Canada. Right. Thank you very much. Congrats. Um, with, thank you. Uh, Carl Harvey, who is Toots in the band, uh, well, was Toots in the Maytels band leader. Unfortunately, yeah. we lost Toots during COVID. Um, him and I did this track and uh, it's called Ready to be Loved. And people are hearing this song and, and, and enjoying it and thinking it's sort of a, a love story in a way or, or, or someone that, that, that feels that they need loved. Um, <laughs> but the actual truth of the matter is it's, it's about, um, uh, a human fragment that was found in, uh, in the Siberian mountains, um, that is a hybrid of Neanderthal and the Nisovan, uh, humans, pre-human humans, um, sapiens, I should say that, uh, this child, this 15 year old girl they figure and they've nicknamed her denny and it's really a song about her being discovered and how what was her life like i'm choosing uh that to 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 make it a love story in a way that she united two tribes two peoples together and um that she was you know a queen of the in-betweens and the uh Mm -hmm. um and that kind of but you know uh, Carl, for instance, the guy that I actually produced the song with said, that's what the song's about. <laughs> after after he'd, he'd heard it like for, you know, a thousand times by this point. But it, it's been it's been brilliant. It's been featured in, in a few places. And um, the coolest part, this is my favorite part, is that the team that discovered Denny love it. Oh, they wow. reached out to me. Mm. Yeah, they reached out to me and they're like, thank you for you know, uh, appreciating what we do. And, um, it was Dr. Svante Pabo. Um, and I was like, Oh, you're, you're welcome, Dr. Pabo. And then I read up <laughs> on this guy. He was like time magazines, most 100 influential people. And like one of the scientists of the year. And like, I'm like, 
okay, yeah, maybe I should I should have given him a little more props than oh, you're most welcome. Yeah, you, you enjoy that song. <laughs> it's interesting that um, that that you spoke about that song after my question because that was exactly the song yeah. that I had in mind. Because right. when I heard the song, I actually watched the video as well. Ah, the animation. Uh, great, yeah. great animated short, by the way. Great you. animated yeah. short. They did, they did wonderful work. They did. And I'm watching it with all of the input that we've had in Canada over the past week and a bit. Yeah. And I'm listening to that song and I go, is this about finding the children? It's, it's, it's crazy up. that those parallels exist in, yeah. in, in, in yeah. art. And I, I think... Um, that's happened to me a couple of times where I've, I've written something and not really fully known what it was about. And it kind of gets, and it kind of gets, and I'm not trying to get too esoteric or airy fairy with you no. guys, but, but there's, there's moments where it's like, if things are revealed to you after mm. and, and, uh, and, and yeah, yeah it, it gives me goosebumps what you're saying there. Cause I, I feel at the very least, it wasn't just about, clearly it wasn't about Neanderthals or Denisovans cause they don't exist as such anymore, although they're in, in our genes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about us, you know, um, finding each other, finding ourselves, finding where we meet. Um, the, the, the thing that pains me the most is the, the us and theming of, uh, that, yes. this, you know, and, and the whole, this is, this is my story. Don't you dare look at my story and, and this is, you know, stay back that that interests me so little what really interests me is where we meet where do we meet um and queen street back in the 70s and the 80s which you know back to your your original questions um was a great place for that this was a place where everyone met and 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 figured out stuff um so hopefully yeah hopefully there's more of that there's more of 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 discovery and uh and we know there are far more children than 215. I mean, the number's already up from there. And, mm-hmm. and hopefully, hopefully we find them all. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Um, let's talk about Queen Street. Um, and, and so the years, you know, Greg, Greg has talked about Queen Street. You know, he grew up um, playing in a number of venues with, with his, uh, various incarnations of his band. Um, you obviously have played uh, on, on Queen Street. We, we have a, a segment um, on Lost Venues, Jason, that we'd like to explore right now. Uh, and whether this place is on Queen Street or somewhere else, but you know, we're curious about a, a, a venue um, that you have really, really fond memories of that just as a matter of Musical evolution uh, and condo taxes does not exist anymore as, as a music venue. I'm, I'm curious if you have a place in mind. Oh, there sure is. <laughs> and I think anyone that was I know where uh, you're going. remotely involved in the, in the reggae scene uh, or in the, even the world, uh, quote unquote, world music scene, um, there is no golden age. My, I, came up with this idea, golden age of Canadian reggae without the bamboo club. And, uh, uh, Richard O'Brien and Patty Habib and company that, uh, 
really gave reggae a home, but, but not a home that was, uh, that was specific to one particular kind of reggae or <clears throat> one kind of community or whatever, like a real high end, um, frontline venue where, um, it was living, breathing, again, back to not a governmental uh, brochure of, but real inter- interculturalism is, is, is the best term, um, where you literally have all kinds of races and classes and, and uh, genders, even back in, in that day, coming together in this one place. Um, and the anthem for that was reggae. It was reggae music that was... You know, whether it was Leroy Sibbles giving you the old school Jamaican thing or Messenger or the satellites giving you the, the sort of the Canadian version of it. Um, and uh, Adrian Miller, who was in 20th Century Rebels, giving you sort of a punky reggae uh, vibe to it, rock and roll vibe to it as well. Um, and then later, I mean, we Tabarook was my, my first band and, and, and uh, we had a, a CD a million years ago, it seems like now. Uh, with Alanis Morissette and Alanis joined us at the bamboo for a night. And, and that was, uh, you know, so without that, there's none of that happens. I don't think, I mean, maybe it does somewhere else, maybe it crops up, but not to that sort of uniformed extent where anyone, and I'm sure Greg can attest to this, you know, if there was a reggae band that wasn't like Jimmy Cliff or UB40 or, or Marley or whatever, like, okay, they're going to play Massey Hall or whatever. Um, but anyone less, on, on the B level or the B plus level, I like to say, um, they're playing the bamboo. You know, they're, they're, that's where they're going to be. And and if it's not them, you're going to get something local that's going to be equivalent to that every week. And sometimes three or four nights a week, you're you're going to have reggae. Um, so it, it's and it, you know we all mourned it. We uh, frankly, there's not a, a, a mecca. Uh, for reggae music anymore in the city, um, which is unfortunate. There are there are great venues that have reggae music, but Bamboo was a special place um, and had its own sort of uh, operating orbit within it. You know, um, people actually stood in the same sort of places. Um, I speak about this in the book, where a uh, young band, multicultural band like us, starting out. You know, we were young and green, and we were like we were lucky to get, you know, a Tuesday night or something at the bamboo when we were starting out and, uh, on, on to the left of me. So I'm, I'm facing the front over here, but to the left of me on this side was the wall of dreads that would just sort of lean up with their beer and they'd be like watching. And if you, you knew if you got approval from that part of the crowd that everyone else would respond favorably to you. And thank God, thank God that happened for us. (laughs) Um, So, you know, we kind of got the stamp of approval from, from the dread section over here. And um, of course got to be friends with many of them afterwards and make music with them. Most of them were musicians anyway. So, Um, but yeah, yeah. And that, that was one, but then you have like completely different things happening. You'd have, you know, Bay street lawyer bringing uh, a date and having Thai food and just wanting best to dance. Best Thai. Best. Yeah, it was. Thai. It was incredible. Incredible food. So, uh, and, and, <laughs> and then, you know, just, it was amazing the different kinds of things that were going on all in the same place, um, making 
uh, different memories for sure, but with the same music as the anthem to those memories, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. We, we played there a few times. I think it was more private gigs because we were more sort of the rock funk we came from the right. funk side with the right. little bit of the rock influence. Well, not a little bit, a lot of rock influence. And we played a few times there. And I just love the room. And, and it's not even, I mean, as much as I love playing on that stage, again, the pad tie. And to your point, just people, just people showing up. I remember being there with Paul Lau, who worked over at Steve's, was like one of the keyboard gurus over yeah. at Steve's. Yeah, I remember. And, and, and Paul brought, he's now in Calgary. But anyway, and so... Paul took my girlfriend at the time and myself over to the bamboo for some pad Thai. And, uh, and he's from Halifax originally. And he's like, Oh, Hey, Sarah, can you come over here and meet my friends, uh, Greg and Erica? And, and it's Sarah McLaughlin and we're just nice. hanging out and we're just eating pad Thai. And it's just, yeah. again, it just the vibe and it, you know, the music hundred percent had the pleasure of playing again, a little bit different music, but just, to your point, anybody, the, the Bay Street lawyer could just show up and yeah, there yeah. you are. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's what made it special. And that's what actually opened. I think it opened up possibilities for reggae and, and not just reggae, but certainly reggae um, in the city where, you know, said Bay Street lawyers like, well, you know, I love that band. Why don't we have that for our wedding? Cause they played at the bamboo, right? <laughs> Those kinds of things. And that kind of thing happened all the time at the bamboo where, in, in, there was some sort of uh, metaphysical connections happening between uh, the clientele and the, and the people on stage all the time. Do you spend any time upstairs at the after parties from in behind, whatever the, whatever the street is behind you had to go up the stairs and it was the big room. Um, I'm not at Liberty to talk to about that. <laughs> oh, cause I just, I remember, I remember going up there one time getting through all the levels of security. Yeah. And then, if I'm not mistaken, it was Jeff Healy and I think Rick Emmett jamming up oh, on the stage that, yeah, just they, together. Yes, yes, I know what you mean. I now. got goosebumps. Yeah. Like, just like mind blowing. Like, again, all the bars are shut down. Where are we going to go? Upstairs, the bamboo at the back again. Yeah, nice. coming up. Rick, Rick Emmett, the Rick. poet. Is that you talking about? <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Yeah. But I mean, those, I mean, even upstairs afterwards. Oh, great. I mean, some fun nights up there. Uh, oh, yeah. No, that's. Yeah, my I grew up there, man. <laughs> I grew, yeah. I, that's that's, uh, that's my education before I uh, I went back to school. So yeah, and again, uh, unfortunately, we don't we don't have that place anymore for reggae in the city. Um, we have good places. Hopefully, after COVID, some of these places are going to come back. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, the bamboo was a very very special place indeed. What do you think the future? is going to be like i know last year you did the the, the real gig real safe yeah. um <laughs> that we have up on the manitoulin here mayas and she had some some bands come in and it was very social distance but right what do you think what do you think the near future not the long-term future i, th- I think the near, the near future, future so i've got i've got a british tour i've actually so check this oh. out i've got nine shows in britain then another three shows in scotland in january i've got bermuda and i've got the cayman islands i do not have a single canadian show yet so I don't know what that means. I mean, I think, I think there'll be some sort of 25, 35% capacity type thing going on for a little while till people get comfortable. Are we going to have to have, you know, I got my, here's my two vaccination Passport. thing on my phone or whatever. Like, I don't know. Um, 
I don't know how people feel about that or how, how I feel about that, but, but um, clearly that thing is missing that, that live music thing is missing. And uh, what I know about people is that they need that. And, and uh, my hope is that it gets, it, it, that it will come back sooner than later. Um, something's coming back soon. You know, that's, I think we're yeah. all feeling that. I think we're all feeling a little, yeah. okay, this, there's, Optimistic. there's light at the end of this tunnel here. Um, yeah. So, awesome. yeah. yeah. Well, we're, we, sh- we wish you the best on your, uh, on that tour. And if you need someone to carry your luggage <laughs> down in uh, the Cayman Islands, uh, just <laughs> <be a> shout. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, they're pretty sweet gigs. Um, so it's, it sounds great, but I'd love a Toronto show would be nice. sure. <laughs> something Absolutely. I could drive to. That would be good. Yeah. <laughs> well, we talked about Drake, just call Drake and see if we can get a place in history. I mean, Absolutely. we just, we got our tickets to July talk in December. We're crossing our fingers for that one. And Nice. Man. I see. I'll, I'll I'll text Drake after this. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. he, get, he gets back to me within the hour usually. <laughs> Jason, um, I believe you have a song ready to play. For I us. do. I do. Wondering if you can uh, intro the song. Tell us the song and, and what's it about. Yeah. So this is off our Perennials album from uh, 2016, and it's a good, right old, good Scottish word, rummel gumption. And uh, it basically means having, uh, you know, guts, but also smarts. And uh, so together, um, which is kind of a note to my wife. She was working at the UN in New York for a couple of years and it was great for her career, but it was hard on us. And uh, this is really the song about me going to pick her up and bringing her home. And uh, yeah, it was it was a good moment. So uh, it, it just came out that way, and um, it was—it's uh, become a sort of sort of a show ender for us because the crowd really really digs it when we do have a crowd. <laughs> yeah, and and we will have a crowd again someday. Um, you know, um, it's sort of a fan favorite. So uh, I thought that would be a good one. Awesome, nice. This is Jason Wilson and Rumble Gumption. Flying up the 
when I stand or when I'm down, you lift me up. When I'm up, you take me higher. When I'm down, you lift me up. When I'm up, you take me higher. And I know. Thank you. No um, so I, I have a last question I usually like to ask, but the first thing I would do want to ask is I remember being at the Toots show a few years back and Toots was, you know, not busting on Carl Harvey about being a, from Toronto, but you know, yes, really, yes, yes. It out, really making yeah. sure that it was well known. Um, what was it like to work with Carl? I got as a, as a fanboy geeking out with goosebumps here. What was it? Like well, I grew up him? with them. So I grew up with the Harveys. Um, so I'll give you the, um, Carl's the oldest and toots and the Maytels, but not just toots and the Maytels. I mean, he's done a mm-hmm. whole bunch oh, yeah. of different things. Um, yeah. uh, and then Ojiji Rupert Ojiji was the front man to messenger is the front man to messenger mm-hmm. messenger to this day. And their youngest brother was my best friend who unfortunately passed away when we were teenagers, um, from a two year bout, uh, with cancer, uh, Richard and, uh, Richard and I, uh, started our, our first band or my first band, at least when I was 12. And then, um, as you, I think you alluded to earlier, Greg, I played my first nightclub with messenger <laughs> when I was 14. Mm-hmm. Um, cafe on the park on eglinton and they the crazy yeah so what was it It on the park like in on the park not in in on the parks the hotel this was cafe on the park it was like avenue i want to say it was like avenue road and eglinton area um sorry no it's okay um yeah and it was a messenger tribute so errol 
the usual bassist was going to sing all the mess, the Bob Marley songs, uh, which meant Saint, the bass player or the keyboard player was going to play bass, um, which meant there was no keyboard player. So you can imagine 14 year old Jay in junior high school, getting the phone call from OGG saying, Hey, Casper, they called me Casper. Casper, you can play a, <laughs> play a, play a show for me tonight. And I'm like, yeah let me ask my mom i guess um and uh the the coolest thing was there's some crazy archaic law that allowed me to perform Mm -hmm. that was totally fine i was able to perform um i couldn't be in the club though Uh figure that one out so i could be on stage but the second i finished on stage i had to go sit up in a storage room upstairs wow i couldn't be in the bar but legally i could be on stage um, so yeah, it was a bizarre, bizarre, but incredible. You know, you can imagine my Monday morning with my friends back at Aliyah junior high school, you know, how was your weekend? <laughs> right? like, yeah. Um, yeah, awesome. so that was, that was kind of cool. Anyway, long story short, Carl's been in my life for, for, for many years. Um, he, uh, yeah, he's incredible. He's just got great ears. He's got a great tone. Um, and uh, we've we've wanted to to work more together, but with him being on the road with Toots so much, it was so hard. Um, but uh, now, we, obviously, with COVID, yeah. but also with losing Toots, there's there's more opportunities to do that. And I'm I'm taking him on to some of these places. He's going to Bermuda, and he's I think he's going to do the uh, the second UK tour with us. So uh, it's nice to be working with him regularly. Very nice. Very nice. So one of the questions that we'd like to ask as we wrap it up is what is in your earbuds lately? What are you listening to that other people should be checking out? Wow. Um, I wish I could say there's some 21st century things. Um, (laughs) I'm listening to, uh, there's a cool album that just came out recently. It's a Thelonious Monk live show at a school in California that was recorded by the janitor and it's been re- it's really cool story check it out um the the name is uh Palo something sorry i'm blanking on that so that's what i listened to like yesterday um <laughs> is it wrong i don't know if it's wrong to say but Lana Del Rey i like i totally i missed yeah. all of like i I literally got into her like last month. Like I, you know, so uh, her new album, like I saw that new video, um, chemtrails uh, over the country club or whatever. And I was like, what is that? I know the name I've never, so I, I bought that album and I love it. Um, but, but my, like my 21st century jams are um, Joanna Newsom, who is a indie harpist, like, harpist yeah. uh who's married to andy samberg who's on brooklyn 99 and oh, uh, yeah. So, yeah she's she's crazy she's kind of like i love kate bush so she's got a kind of a kate bush vibe but hmm. same thing um much a very much a storyteller probably takes months to write her tunes as well that delves into the history of you know takes and I'm, in fact she 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 doesn't tell her fans so she kind of waits for the the blogs to come out to see if fans have gotten the actual thing right so hmm. um i i dig that i like i like artists that make you work a little bit so um and then bach 
I've been listening to tons of Bach lately. So where's the reggae in that uh, recent <laughs> history? It's, it's there. It's always there. It just hasn't been on the turntable for, for a week. That's great. Thanks. That is awesome. Jason, <laughs> thank you so much for spending uh, this evening with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. It was, it was a pleasure. Before awesome. we you. let you go, where can people go to check out your music? Well, I'm all over the, all the, the usual places like uh, Spotify and Apple and iTunes and Deezer and Bandcamp. And it's Jason Wilson Music is generally uh, the best way. Or Jason, JasonWilsonMusic.com is our website. So you can check us out there as well. Awesome. It's been a pleasure, Jason. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you. 